the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. No book on earth is deeper and richer than the Bible. And few passages of scripture go deeper than the ninth chapter of the book of Romans. Welcome to Canyon Ridge Radio with Pastor Chris Chadwick, a ministry of Canyon Ridge Baptist Church in San Diego. You'll hear verse-by-verse preaching that will help you know and love Jesus in a personal and practical way. Open your Bibles with us to Romans chapter 9 and listen in to part one of this message as we learn together from the Bible. How many of you have ever watched the way you deal with people and just kind of evaluated maybe what you said or what you did? And how many of you can say sometimes when you deal with people, you deal with people in kindness, like you're kind to them? Can anybody raise their hand and say, oh, sometimes I'm kind? Anybody says sometimes I'm kind? Anybody can say, nope, never kind, just a total jerk all the time. All right, ladies, if you're raising your hand for your husband, that's totally fine. I guess dude is always a jerk, all right? Sometimes when you when you deal with people, you ever see caustic people? Like they're just, man, they're just super caustic. How many of you know what I'm talking about, caustic people? How many of you have ever been caustic? All right, yeah, how many were caustic this morning? Yeah, 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 exactly. Some of you are caustic. How many of you have ever, there's ever been a time when when you've just been funny, yeah, you've just been funny with people. Anybody ever been funny? Some people in this church try to be funny and you're not. So if you try to be funny and you're not, there's a word for you. It's called awkward. How many of you have ever been awkward with people? All right. If your hand's not up, you're the awkward one. If you're like, no, I've never been awkward with anybody, that's because that's who you are. We reserve that position for you. And you're like, I wonder if he's talking about me. You still haven't got it. Yes, we are talking about you in all the grace and kindness we can muster. Uh, Awkwardness. Sometimes when you deal with people, you deal with people in a right way. Sometimes you just deal with people right Well, we're going to look at a text of scripture this morning that talks about really God's way of dealing with us is always righteous. God always deals righteously with mankind. That's the way that he works with us. That's the way that he deals with us. God is always, matter of fact, I have a saying up there. God is always righteous in his dealing with mankind. There's never a time when God is not righteous. Now, as we come to this, and, and we, we mean righteous, motivated by righteousness or doing right or being right, God is always righteous in the way that he deals with us. Now, we're going to enter into Romans 9, 14 to 24, and Romans 9 is one of the more challenging or deeper passages of Scripture in the Bible. 
Matter of fact, some people would say it's the more, most challenging of all of them in Romans, and Romans might be the most challenging of all the New Testament books. It's, it's, um, a beautiful book. It's an extremely helpful book, and, uh, it's, it's fantastic on every level, but we're dealing in a, another passage. Last week we were, the week before we were, as this is our third message in Romans 9. Next week will be our fourth and final in Romans 9. We are dealing with some really deep and heady thoughts. So I'm going to ask you this morning to really focus your attention in on the text and really allow the text to speak to you and to minister to you because I'm excited about what we're going to learn. I want to give you a brief review over the chapter of Romans because it'll help our passage to make sense. In verses 1 to 4, we learned a couple of things. We learned that God blessed the nation of Israel in a wonderful way by allowing them to be a conduit of God's word to the world. In other words, God gave his word to the nation of Israel through prophets, through priests, through the writing of the word of God. You, we could go back and look at the Old Testament. God blessed Israel with his word in a unique way that the rest of the world wasn't blessed with. And the nation of Israel had the wonderful blessing of communicating God's word to a lost and dying world. They were, they were supposed to be, as the Bible talks about in the book of Matthew, a city, a city that is sit on a hill, a city that everybody can see. They were supposed to be an example to a lost and dying world of the impact God's word made in their life. They were supposed to be a a candle that wasn't uh, put under a bushel, Jesus talked about in the book of Matthew, that all the world could see. The Bible says in the book of Psalms that all the nations be glad, meaning all the nations of the earth to be glad because of what the nation of Israel was blessed with. They were blessed with God's word and they were to be a blessing to the rest of the world. Let me be a blessing, verses one to four. And then the nation of Israel was the people group through which Jesus would be born. So Abraham, who is the father of the nation, Abraham and Sarah had a son named Isaac. Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Israel became the line through which Jesus would be born. So all the way back to Abraham, God had this plan that the nation of Israel would be the family line or the national line through whom Jesus would be born. What a tremendous blessing for the nation of Israel. Verses 1 to 4. And then we saw last week in verses 6 to 13 that they didn't stay close to God, the nation of Israel, and they walked away from God. It says in verse number 6, not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel, meaning not everybody who is born in the nation of Israel is carrying on that blessing like God intended for them to carry it on. Not everybody who is a part of the nation of Israel is a is a follower of God. Not everybody is, has put their faith and trust in Jehovah God. And and even we learned as well, some of the descendants of Abraham were followers of God, were blessed to carry the nation, were part of the the line through whom Jesus would come, but not all of them were. We even learned that certain groups, unfortunately, rebelled against God and walked away from him. Well, the question was asked in the text last week, does that mean that God's promises are invalidated? Or another phrase, way to say it, to make void or worthless. 
In other words, if God tells somebody to do something and promises that he's going to do something and somebody says, I'm not doing it, does that mean God's word or God's promise is made void? And what we learned last week is absolutely not. If God promises something, then it will come to fruition or it will be realized whether or not the person that should have been carrying it out does it'll still be carried out because of the goodness and the power of God. And then we ended last week on a verse. I said it to the great 30 service earlier today, um, a passage that I, I, I felt like I spent a lot of time on it and I could have spent much more time on it because this is probably the most talked about message last week that we've had in the history of Canyon Ridge. Normally you guys forget about it by the time you order your lunch. It's the joy of my life. I'm teasing a little bit there. Uh, but this was talked about and is still being talked about because there are some some questions about this in, in the modern-day America and modern-day Christendom. Verse number 13, where the Bible says, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Remember, Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau was the older brother. Jacob was the younger brother. And historically, the older brother would be the blessed brother. And the younger brother would be the brother who doesn't get anything. By the way, very true in my family. If you don't know me, I have an older brother. He gets everything. I have an older sister. She's spoiled. All I get are the few fragments that remain uh, with my parents. My parents are like, let's have a family reunion. Nope, don't want to do that. Why? Because all I get are the scraps. Everybody else gets spoiled and I get nothing. And so uh, I'm teasing a little bit. I have a wonderful family. Uh, They like my brother and sister. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. It In culture, the culture of that day, it should have been Esau have I loved, Jacob have I hated. That was the culture. But the inversion there because of God's plan had to do, and we dealt with that a little bit last week, had, had to do with Esau's character. But when the Bible uses this word hated, sometimes people um, read into the text our own emotions and our own uh, vernacular. And so when we say we hate something, we have a disdain for it. We intensely dislike it. We really can't stand it. Like, like we would say something like that. Oh, I, I hate that. You know, like, like for me, like I hate the Las Vegas Raiders. Can Can I get an amen by all people who love Jesus? If you don't love Jesus, you're rooting for the other team. Let me just say that right now, all right? We've got some Raider fans in our church. We pray for you to come to Jesus even today. Even now, come to the altar, repent. Um, but I, I'm teasing. I don't really hate the Raiders. It's, it's, a, it's just that I don't like them. But this word hate in Jesus' day meant something far different, than, or, or in Paul's day, meant something far different than we do. And it's a quote of Malachi chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. And the word means to reject without disdain one over another for a noble task. God's hatred is a figure of speech. Both love and hate refer to here God's choice, and the speech is sometimes called a a semitism, or I love you, I prefer you, I hate you, I chose somebody else for this noble task. So verse number 13, Jacob have I chosen, Esau I have not chosen. 
What the text doesn't mean, and this is what some people argue that it means, what the text doesn't mean is Jacob will I let into heaven and Esau I will send to hell. That's not what it means. God didn't create Esau to send him to hell. God did create Jacob so that the line of the Messiah would go through him and the word of God would go through him to a lost and dying world, to the, through the entire world. That's not what God's plan for Esau was. God had a, a, a purpose for Isaac that was different than the purpose of Esau. By the way, this is also referring to the way that God deals with the children of Israel and with all people on the earth. It was a a governmental, if you will, it's a governmental verse, meaning I'm going to deal with the descendants of uh, Jacob this way and his nation, and I'm going to deal with the descendants of Esau and his nation, the Edomites, this way. So I love Jacob, I hate Esau. By the way, not all the followers of Jacob became Christians, became followers of of Jehovah God, put their faith and trust in God. And not all the descendants of Esau rejected God. If you like what you've heard so far, check out CanyonRidgeRadio.com. You can see videos and listen to hundreds of Bible messages that will help you in your walk with the Lord. You can also send a message to me and Pastor Chadwick. Check us out at CanyonRidgeRadio.com. Now, back to the message in progress. So, we come to our text this morning. And again, we got our, as my fourth grade teacher used to say, we have our thinking caps on and we read verse number 14 through 16 is our text. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth nor of him that runneth, but God that showeth mercy. I want you to notice this. God uses imperfect people to bring the word. God uses imperfect people to bring the word. God's choosing of one person over another person for a specific task does not make God unrighteous. Does not make God bad. The word unrighteous in verse number 14, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness? That word unrighteousness means a failure to adhere to moral principles, commands, or laws. God is not failing to adhere to a moral principle, command, or law when he chooses one person to do any, do something more than he would choose another person to do something. It's a, it's a noble task. There's no unrighteousness in that simply because God chose one person as opposed to another person. Every person has a calling. Every person, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. Every person has gift sets available to them. And God chooses one person and he doesn't choose another based on his sovereign will that does not make him in any way, shape, or form immoral or unrighteous. And it's critical that we understand this. There are two flawed thoughts that some of the the Israelites, the Jews had in Paul's day. Flawed thought number one was this. They, they, they literally believe this, that every descendant deserved the benefit of bringing God's word. 
They, they believe that every descendant deserved the benefit of bringing God's word. They believe that every descendant was part of the line of the Messiah. However, the truth was that God has only selected a remnant through whom to bring his word. The nation of Israel versus all other nations and only a select few people within the nation of Israel would bring the word of God. You had prophets, you had priests that were preaching that God spoke to, that God inspired to write down his word. You'd have guys like Moses and David and Samuel and Elijah and, and Elisha, you'd have the minor prophets, the major prophets that would, that would speak the word of God. They were blessed. It was a, a very limited number of people at that time that God had chosen. But they thought, well, everybody has the right to do this. And God says, no, I've only selected a select few. Flawed thought number two is that every descendant deserved eternal life on the basis of their being an Israelite. They would ask questions. They might ask a question like this. Uh, John Doe, this would be back in, in Paul's day. Uh, um, Paul to an Israelite. John Doe, if you were to die today, do you know if you'd go to heaven? And if so, can you tell me why? He might've been said it a different way, but he might have said something like that. If you died today, would you go to heaven? And if so, why? Yes, I know that when I die, I'm gonna go to heaven would have been the response. Why? Because I'm an Israelite. Of course, of course I'm going to heaven. Would, would not be dissimilar from people in, in the U.S. today. Of course I'm going to heaven. My granddad's a preacher. Of course I'm going to heaven. I'm from Texas. Of course I'm going to heaven. I, was, I went to a Baptist church growing up. And so people have this view based on their heritage based on who they are. And so it's not unique to Israel. We have it all over America today. The number of people I talk to on a very, very regular basis who believe that they're saved because they grew up in a Christian home, because their dad is a preacher, because their mom taught in a Sunday school class, because their parents loved Jesus, or because they were poor, or because they were rich, or because they gave money, whatever the case may be, that the number of people who believe that would stagger the mind. I, I hear that response, something philosophically very similar to that on a extremely regular basis. I want to say this very clearly. Salvation is available to all, but it isn't given on the basis of where you're from, on who your parents are, or being born into a Christian family, or any other reason. Salvation is given only to those who realize they're a sinner and ask Jesus Christ to come into their heart to forgive their sin and to save their soul. And there's no unrighteousness with God for choosing some of the descendants for a noble task. This question in verse number 14, for a noble cause uh, and, and not others. It doesn't make God unjust for that. Any more than it makes God unjust for making me the pastor and Bernie Lund the music director. You invert those roles, it's not going to go well. He's a better pastor than I would be a music guy, I can assure you of that. We'd have more fun if I led the music. Could you see some 80s break dancing on the platform on Sunday morning? You say, would it degenerate into that? Week number one, week number one, which is why I can't fulfill that role. God hasn't gifted me for that. God hasn't given me that ability uh, to do. I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious to prove a bigger point. God is not unrighteous to call people to a noble task and not others. Look at verse number 15. For he saith to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. 
God can have mercy on unfaithful Israelites when it serves his purpose. I will have mercy means to show leniency or compassion towards something or someone. Mercy is patiently refraining from punishing someone who deserves to be punished. It does not equal salvation. Now, salvation is the mercies of God poured out on our life, but that's not what this verse is expressly referring to. We might want to have an application and, and stretch it a little bit to say that. We wouldn't be totally wrong in that, but that is not the, the author's intent. The author's intent is not to talk about salvation in verse number 15. The author's intent is to help us to understand God will show mercy on whoever will show mercy. And he uses Moses, and, and I think he was referring back to an encounter with God that Moses had in Exodus chapter 31, 32, 33, primarily 32 and 33. The children of Israel were on their way to the promised land. Uh, this is before they, they rejected going into the promised land. So they're on that year and a half journey at the time uh, to go into the promised land. And while they're there, uh, God leads them to stop by Mount Sinai. And God tells Moses to come up to the top of Mount Sinai. And there on the top of Mount Sinai, God meets with Moses. And there's a cloud over it. And before Moses leaves, God tells the children of Israel, I'm going up to Mount Sinai. I'm taking Joshua, who is his, who is his right-hand man, we might say, or militaristically. He was the aide-de-camp. He was the, the person in charge. And, and Joshua went up with Moses. And they were on the mountain for 40 days. Well, the children of Israel are down in the valley outside of Mount, or, or at the bottom of Mount Sinai. Matter of fact, the Bible says this is such a holy place. You're not even allowed to touch it while Moses is here. God is meeting with Moses. Moses is meeting with God. Uh, it had to be absolutely amazing. Moses was closer to God at that point than any man had ever been to that day other than Adam when he walked with God in the cool of the garden before the fall in Genesis chapter 2. I mean, so this is just amazing what Moses is experiencing. Well, the children of Israel, uh, they got very impatient and so Moses is up there week number one, like they start talking, where's Moses? Week number two, they're like, is Moses ever coming back? Week number three, man, that cloud's still there. God's still meeting with Moses. Week number four, Moses is not coming back is the thought that some people begin to pursue through the, or push through the crowd. Week, week number five, Moses still isn't back. And at some point in there, sometime in there around day number 40, somebody comes up with an idea. God isn't letting Moses come back. So let's do something. Let's take all of our jewelry, give it to Aaron, and Aaron, who is the priest, Moses' brother, will make us some golden calves, and we'll begin to worship the idols of the golden calf, just like the rest of the world does. And so that's what they did. They took all their jewelry, all their gold, they gave it to Aaron. Aaron takes the gold, he melds it down, he puts it into forms, and he makes these golden calves, and the nation begins to have this, this raucous party uh, 30, 40, 50,000 people are having this raucous party worshiping these idols in every debauched way that you can imagine they're doing this. And, and Moses is on the mountain. He's, he's just experienced 40 days with God. He's walking down the mountain and Joshua says to Moses, Moses, I hear music in the camp and it's the music of war. And, and Moses says, I do too. And they walk down the mountain and they see the idolatry. They see the worship of 
idols. They see the fact that these people have abjectly rejected God, doing their own thing, worshiping God like the people of the world. And, and Moses drops the Ten Commandments they break that had been written by the finger of God, the Bible says. And Moses runs into the camp. He stops the, the, the idol worship and, and he's incensed. He is righteously indignant. He is, maybe we could say it this way. He is angry beyond understanding. He's ticked off, but he's ticked off for the right reason. I always worry about people who never get upset, even about obvious wickedness going on in our world. That always concerns me. People say, well, pastor, I don't think Christians should ever get angry. Well, you know, the Bible uses the word anger about 300 times, 200 and about 230 times it's used in a positive about the character of God, 70 times it's used in the negative. You can definitely be unrighteously angry, but every Christian man and woman, every mature Christian should be righteously angry at the wickedness that goes on in our world. Every Christian. Well, I'm just not going to say anything. My philosophy is just live and let live. Yet that's in some ways why things are in the condition that they are. Because we have a laissez-faire, live and let live attitude. I don't want anybody to ever be upset. I don't want anybody to ever say anything. That is not the attitude of Moses. That is not the attitude of our Lord and Savior. No, God has called us to be holy because he is holy, to stand up for truth, because all truth is God's truth. And the church, we looked at it uh, the other day, the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. I mean, it is God's truth for God's people and God's timing. And so Moses is righteously indignant. And, and God says to Moses in this account, we don't have time to read the whole thing, but God says to Moses in this account, Moses, I'm going to kill the entire nation of Israel, even those who were just watching and not participating. Moses is extremely merciful in the moment. And says in Exodus 32, 31, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin. You've been listening to Kenyon Ridge Radio with Pastor Chris Chadwick. Tune in next week as Pastor Chadwick continues this powerful series of messages from Romans chapter 9. Speaking of, if you have any questions about what it means to be a Christian, the Bible, and how to go to heaven, we invite you to visit CanyonRidgeRadio.com for more information. We hope this episode of Canyon Ridge Radio has been an encouragement to you. Canyon Ridge Baptist Church is a growing church located in beautiful San Diego, California. If you're in the San Diego area, make plans to visit us this Sunday at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., or 5 o'clock p.m at 6866 Linda Vista Road. For more information about our church, pastor, or how to know Jesus as your Savior, visit our website at canyonridgeradio.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.